0: let's see if that killed the buzz you always do
1: and welcome to the Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Carr, here along with my co-host and the merry-to-my-pippin, Mr. Matt O Zero, a.k.a. The Moz. How we doing today, Moz?
0: Not bad, not bad. Like it.
1: Yeah, Mary the merry-to-my-pippin.
0: We're more like Legolas and
1: Gimli, though. It's more of a tighter homoerotic bond there. Yeah, and I'm definitely more of a Gimli. I got yeah. that. Yes. I got, I got the beard. Yeah, are Gimli. I definitely have the beard for the Gimli. There's gimly. no argument. I'm a very tall dwarf. Yeah. That's basically what I am. There you go. Uh, but anywho, as per usual, we are going to start this episode, episode eight, I believe, with some old business. Maz, you said you had one quick piece. Yeah, I just wanted to hit you with this. At the end of your, or the
0: beginning of your first thought experiment. Okay, the UAP. Yeah. The UAP. Your Axis Mundi, he always sets up a little tree of life in the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. In the middle of your thought experiment, that tree just went off the table like for the first time ever. So like your thought experiment act- actually toppled the world tree. And I thought I would point that, that out. That kinda to you. makes sense. It did yeah. go completely off the rails yes. at one point. Yes. I'm just <laughs> That's all, all I'm saying. That's all I got. I don't know. Should I
1: apologize for that one? I mean there was some good <laughs> info in there. I did get really weird with it though as I went.
0: Well, we have a lot of apologies, because actually, listening back to my first, and you gotta realize we're just starting out here, gang, but my first one, Skin Walker, I mean, we really had, at one point I said, There's this podcast is getting far too silly, and I realize I probably should have said that after everything
1: either and of then us it said. Just got sillier. <laughs> it just got sillier.
0: <laughs>
1: so just forgive us. We're getting. We're uh, trying to be very informative but and entertaining. Our, but, our comedy side kind of takes over sometimes. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll strike a right balance as time goes on. There you go. Yep. Okay, so that's out of the way. We will turn it to Moz now because he is about to bring us down another one of his rabbit holes dark rabbit holes That's right
0: so prerequisites uh this is part 1 of our shapeshifter saga you might want to go back and listen to the skin walker episodes although they do get far too silly
1: far too silly uh,
0: but uh, you know especially that where the wild things are thesis i think is important so that wasn't as silly as i was expecting that actually yeah. <laughs> kind of blew my mind honestly <laughs> I, I I kind of thought it might. So my goal is to go back and destroy my whole childhood, kind of episode by episode. So that's what fair we're enough. Kind fair of enough. Fair enough. But shape shifting is a global phenomenon that reaches back to the dawn of time. It's truly astounding how the surfaces from pole to pole. And you're gonna have heard some of this in this. I know I tried to stay focused on the skin Walker, but it became more about shamans and shape shifters.
1: How it all ties together. Right. You know, that's that's kind of what we try to do. Here.
0: And this is going to be expanding upon some of those themes again. I'm going to try not to be repetitive, but at the same time, we're going to go to some of these places because they come up a lot. Fair so enough. they need a little bit more explanation. Well,
1: you know, it's, we, we might get a little repetitive at times with some of this stuff, but it's just because we want to keep it fresh in the brain because it is an educational sort of thing too, you
0: know. We might get repetitive with this stuff because we want to keep it's it good. fresh in the brain. And <laughs> 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 we're getting some feedback. You might you might have heard. We're getting finally like played this for people and they're like, what are you t- smoking? During? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to, you know, they're fun. We've enjoyed them. We want to make it so others can enjoy it. There you go. <laughs> but, uh I tried to define shapeshifters and start there, and it's actually harder than you think, and the reason is because, you know, a lot can be happening with the shapeshifter phenomenon, but if I'm in the room and you're in the room, some things could be going on, but others may not see any kind of physical change, and yet there might be something really happening between you and I sitting here that is defined as some kind of a change or some kind of a shift. Right, right. I could be astrally projecting my consciousness elsewhere i could be doing this that, or the other thing or i could be
1: transforming into a, a, a something else and not everyone who's present will actually see it is what you're saying yeah it gets
0: murky i had a hard time just starting to define it and i got a thing for you to read to kind of explain why
1: Oh, i'm reading things. already you're reading already sneaking up on me okay The following story relates to a shaman called Paralop of the Srednaya-Kolima region of Russia. Hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad. Paralop was credited with possessing healing and precognitive abilities. He was known to have predicted a fire to an electric power station one week before the event had occurred. Paralop had a wood grouse as his spirit helper. One day, the shaman decided to visit a friend, Karka, from the village cotton cotton cutting knock huh karka had noticed a bird flying towards him and tried to shoot it with his gun the bird escaped a few days later Paralop approached karka saying you nearly shot me the other day before yesterday why did you try to do this
0: yeah, and that's from neuro- neuroquantology.com. And it's just a quick story to kind of give the idea that was there someone lying in bed? Was he the bird? I, you know, are you shape-shifting into something? Is Are you astrally projecting? Things what, get
1: murky when we talk about shape-shifting shif- right. really
0: quickly, I guess is the point I'm
1: trying to make. So it's like... Was he actually the bird, or was he just seeing through the bird's eyes? Right.
0: We got the half-sleep, half-awake stuff we talked about last time. We got hallucinogens. We got other altered states of consciousness. The Australian shapeshifting occurs in the dreaming time. The whole thing gets very dreamy and murky. Mm. Presumably, for the most part, these shapeshifter events I think someone is sleeping back in bed for the vast majority of these things. Uh, full transformation is what we're trying to get to because I think that's the real monster lore tour right, piece of it. Right. Uh, but in trying to define it, I, I came up with something on the literary side from Samantha J. Cairo, The Significance of Shapeshifting and Transformation in Medieval Welsh and Icelandic Literature. Uh, this is from her thesis. Shapeshifting, metamorphosis, and transformation are important mechanisms in folk tales and literature throughout the world. Use of these terms, specifically the term shape-shifting, generally means a person or creature who is able to change their shape at will or by the aid of another. Shapeshifters may be evil or benign depending on the need created in the story for the particular talents. Shapeshifters may change their shape by some inner magic ability through a magic object or by ingesting something which causes the transformation. Oh, and there's your psychedelics. There you go. And she lists the most common terminology for shape-shifting in her little thesis to these five, metamorphosis, lycanthropy, skin-turning, transformation, and shape-shifting. But I was able to get these—I cr- uh, cr- tried to get these things into a kind of a collective camp at the end of it. and at the end of part two, there's going to be a quiz for you. It's going to involve some cartoons. Oh, boy. So you're not
1: supposed to be, tell us about the pop quiz ahead of time.
0: <laughs> well, I want you to put your... You're usually very good at putting your thinking cap on. So I don't oh, yeah. I love when you, you quiz me about so this stuff. You do very well, usually. Shapeshifters are those individuals not...
1: Oh, wait. This was your reading. <laughs> Jeremy to read, too. <laughs> Let me pick that back up. Shapeshifters are those individuals not necessarily human with the power to shift into other creatures. From human to animal or vice versa... And during this transformation process, these beings or entities can be perceived as undergoing some physical transformation by observers or, at the very least, can project their consciousness in a meaningful and verifiable way into another animal or creature. So there you go.
0: Yeah, I was looking at the uh, who that reference was. That was my definition. That's why I couldn't find it. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you that's go. a definition okay. I came up with. Oh, oh. That's very well written. Well done. Uh, so but I, what I think if this thing were to happen, even with paralop, I mean, what we'd hope folks would do if something ever happens like this is you kind of want to verify. You know, what was I wearing? How many shots did I take? What were what were? You know, there's got to oh, be a way a call. that you can kind of tease this out. That oh, you really were a bird flying over me, and I shot at you. What was I wearing? What did I say? What did I curse after I missed you? Whatever. Right, right. Um, obviously, these are not. This is not a lab experiment. Show me, show me the spot where it happened. Kind right. Of thing. Yeah. yeah. We see so many times in documentaries, people kind of drop the ball with references to size. How far away was the tree? Uh, how big was this thing? We we see a lot of gaps. In that is
1: a big problem with a lot of the cryptid videos, Bigfoot and whatnot. That they're kind of far away, and there's no real scale. Like you're not really sure. How big they really are and how fast they're really moving right. and stuff.
0: Yep. It gets it gets complicated. I started out this little adventure with two books, uh, John Kachubas Shapeshifters a history. Uh, he's the scully of that side of our Scully Molder Believability scale. Okay. And then Nick Redfern, Shapeshifters, Morphing Monsters and Changing Cryptids. He's the molder side. He's our molder. Gotcha. So it was good. It was actually great two books to kind of S- kick off this thing. Oh, yeah, it's totally the way to do it.
1: Totally the way to do it.
0: Uh, and I won't be talking about the Greco-Roman variety, by the way. Uh, the, generally, I try to stay away from the fearsome critters, you know, the fearsome creatures, those lumberjack stories that were just these silly st- camp stories. And Greco-Roman, we will touch on those things at different times, but basically, I, I kind of summed it up.
1: What What's an example of the Greco-Roman that you're talking about?
0: Well, I mean, all all the the therianthropes that they come up with, even the Sphinx and the Minotaur. Well, the sphinx is more Egyptian. The, the, but the centaur, Minotaur, the Minotaur. You know that all that stuff is, you know. Ooh, the Cyclops. The Cyclops. Like the Cyclops. But I did I did sum it up so we could move on. And you want to know what the main gist of the whole Greco-Roman shapeshifting genre is about? Sure. To pork, punish, or protect the three P's. It's <laughs> about it. It's just Zeus on the prowl again, you know. I'm just glad you didn't make them Fs. Good job on making them Ps. (laughs) Don't tell Hera. But where do we find these things? Nick Redfern talks about shapeshifter tendencies to peer around bridges, tunnels, water, and graveyards. Uh, Linda Godfrey talks cemeteries, deserted buildings, campgrounds, or military bases. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley adds portals and thin spots to this list. Oh, I like the thin spots. I'm going to get into that at some point. And I would add ley lines, crossroads, geomagnetic anomalies, geological deposits, power lines, and sports bars. Sports bars? Yeah, because they're liminal. Why are they liminal? Because they're
1: ubiquitous and everywhere.
0: They're halfway between (laughs) pubs and living rooms.
1: Ah, they're in the in-between state. They're in-between, yeah. I'm convinced. But reading into the stuff.
0: I know, I know, I know. Taking a page from folks like Guileen Redford, more creatures than not seen of ability to shapeshift, from people to werewolves to vampires to Bigfoots. Uh, oh, I did it. It's not Bigfoots. We said it was oh, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Dang. It's like deer. Can you just edit the S out later? Like,
1: <laughs> We'll see.
0: <laughs> uh, dragons, otters, sometimes both directions, as we're going to see man to beast, beast to man. Uh, also, I won't be discussing vampires or werewolves today, uh, just because they're so cliche. And we'll we'll get to them at some point. Yeah, they're their
1: own genre, kind of thing. Like like you did, the skin walker. The werewolf should have its own too. You know. Yeah, at some point we'll do vampires and werewolves. We're gonna go a little light on them today. But I
0: do want you to know. Do you know you're never more than six feet away from a werewolf? I'm
1: pretty sure that's spiders. No. All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll you're think. you're like three feet from a werewolf right now, though. <laughs> That's true. Oh, a dwarf. Are you Gimli or are you a werewolf? You know, know, Halloween time is awesome for me because there's yeah. so many things to choose from. <laughs> when you're when you got this much hair on your head, <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of things you can yeah. do. I definitely, I can see that. But again, I have a
0: spreadsheet. I talked about this last time. It will come up at some of these things because. You know, it was definitely the the 180 columns, 180 columns,
1: <laughs> But we're, the, we're never going to format that right. I don't know how we're going to get that out.
0: But to give a little more uh, details of the 40 shapeshifters, and this is just again, there's there's thousands, but the four first 40 I looked at, mimicry were 12 out of 40. Um, I think the, the the mimicry is probably the most common of the first 40 that I looked at. And I think the creepiest mimic is the gigi, K-O-N-A-K-I-G-I-G-I-I from Japanese folklore.
1: Whoa, that's quite the spelling. That's a lot of I's. It's the spirit
0: of a baby left in the woods to die, so it's mimicking itself. Oh, no. And if you go to rescue it, it ambushes you and it crushes you wow i think it squishes your head like kinson hall so in the christian it doctrine your head.
1: it would be like an unbaptized baby left in the woods they and, have that too the yeah. soul is just wandering yeah that's horrible
0: yeah cannibalism showed up six out of 37 whistling five out of 37
1: uh, again therianthropes were also very prominent if it's only five out of 37 on the whistling why can't i whistle ever I mean that's because not a big the one percentage. we
0: were doing was about whistling. I mean, one of them, oh. is skin blanker, was part of that. Gotcha. And you're whistling.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. I actually Fair said,
0: enough. "Don't wait." Wh- you know, like I guess you said you said it earlier. Whatever we say not to do, we do. So I, I guess that was well, my yeah, you fault.
1: Just if you don't, if you want me to not do something, yeah, just no, don't, say, don't anything. say anything. If you tell me not to, I'm gonna. Yeah. You did it subconsciously
0: because you're you know you're. I can't even defiant, help it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's. But something off, missing anatomy, elongated anatomy is, is something else we see. Gin, uh, here's Rosemary, Ellen, Guiles, kind of the same problem. Even when they appear in beautiful human form, gin are said to still have a physical flaw that exposes their true identity. Most common are hairy legs and hoofed feet. Uh, most shapeshifters around the globe have this built-in flaw, one part of their anatomy that they can't quite master. We talked about this a little bit, I think, already, because mm-hmm. you were talking about maybe the really good, powerful ones can. Right, the higher level yeah. they are, the, the more perfect the transformation. Which was an interesting point. Uh, red eyes were 8 of 37. Unspeakable act to turn into the monster was also very common. Uh, some of these were expats where they used to be part of the community and then they become part of that outside uh, many are nature spirits or guardian spirits like the Leshi. Uh, the shamanic culture, we tend to find shapeshifters, but in some tribes, shapeshifting and shamanism is wholly absent. And for some tribes, these techniques seem to have been lost to the fog of time. We talked about that a little bit, it getting more de- deg- degraded as time goes on.
1: Well, and we've compared it to, you know, the Jedi and the Sith and whatnot and controlling that their particular type of force. It takes teaching to do it even right. if you have the natural ability someone has to teach you to, to use it right so yeah if the tribe ends up with no more real shaman so to speak mm-hmm. to teach anyone then right. they're going to lose it entirely yeah and that's not every tribe i'm just saying it's it's a
0: trend and i also think though that it's it's both as a parallel where the stuff is struggling at the same time it always keeps bubbling up and i think that's why it's so pertinent and it's so important for mankind and humanity because if this thing keeps bubbling up no matter what you do to it i think there's maybe really something to some of these you know
1: yeah it's like hydra you cut off one head two grow back there you go
0: so it's gonna be kind of, it, look how popular shamanism and stuff is now and i i, I mentioned it because crazy it ties popular. into shape-shifting so perfectly in a way so i did kind of another shape-shifter roll call and i know i did this last time so i should have just done it I should have just kept to the subject last time and done it this time, but I went with totally different ones. Uh, there's a f- couple that okay. we're, you're going to hear again, but basically it's all different. There's the Sasi. It's S-A-C-I-P-E-R-E-R-E from Brazil. It's a one-legged black child dwarf. Sounds very gnome-like because he's got a little cap and smokes a pipe. one cloak. One-legged. There's a lot of times... as. Legs that are pointed backwards, or one leg, or you know, there's, it's often there's again that one thing off.
1: So they just hop around,
0: I guess. So I mean, travels <laughs> all weird. actually he travels in a dust devil, which is oh, kind of Tasmanian devil sense. kind of thing going they on spin. there. They spin. Yeah. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, they're spin walkers. Yeah. Spin doctors. <laughs> or yeah, back to the 80s. Leshies again. We mentioned the leshy last time. Likes to laugh, whistle, and sing. Is a humanoid tree spirit, often depicted with wooden antlers. If angered, not respected, it's just like any other nature deity. Watch out. Uh, John Kachuba's book, and the reason I mention this is because Shapeshifter's a History, he discusses how the leshy can transform into plants, animals, or humans, and it can shrink to a few inches or grow to the boughs of trees. And that's another really common theme for Shapeshifter.
1: turning into plants, too, huh?
0: Plants. So we got a little... Either a Toxic Avenger or a Swamp Thing thing going on there. My What's brain on? went to Little Shop of Horrors for some reason. Yeah. Feed me signal. <laughs> that, that's a good one, too. Triffids. But Kachubo also mentions another shapeshifter I'd never heard of, the Longa Whopper. From Longa Whopper. Belgium, that has this same ability, much like the hide behind. Um, this from shapeshifting history. The Longa Whopper or Long Whopper hid in canals. It's a shapeshifter with no set form. Could be anything and can be as small as a mouse or as tall as a building. It likes to transform into a creature with legs so long it can peer into the, the windows of buildings and terrify the occupants.
1: Yeah, these the, the twenty foot tall cryptid types or, or spirit types or whatever that's pretty prevalent, right? Like, when it's another trope. There's, there's a lot of really tall, elong, like the elongation you talk about, right? And they end up like twenty feet tall, so. Right. so. It's a trope that they can also get big or small. That seems... Very Alice
0: in Wonderland on that one. Mm Mm-hmm. Thing apparently has long spindly legs so it can walk on the water. It has, again, that elongated anatomy we just talked about. His favorite guises are a beggar, a priest, a puppy, a kitten, or a beautiful woman. These are all the things Jeremy can go to Halloween as dressed as next time. Just about anything. Just some ideas. Just some (laughs) ideas. There's the kitsune, a Japanese shapeshifter from the fox totem family. It's actually a reverse, a fox that can turn into a human. Usually chooses an attractive woman, guys, to lure men to their demise. This act is repeated by a great number of shapeshifters. Uh, There's all kinds of things that dress, you know, looks like lures you in. We
1: got into that a lot with the... uh Especially that hat. that camping story from right. the previous episodes, I was the skin walker episode. That was really cool. Yeah, we have
0: a, we have some being called out of their tent yeah. to go in there, uh, but the other one, more specifically, is you know dudes who are you know looking for love, and the shapeshifter you know entices uh, them. in. It's like when Bugs Bunny dresses like the, a girl it's, bunny. It's the Siren Song right. in that case. Same you know, idea. That would be the more apt reference, I guess. And just like Guy Lee's gin description, they can fully transform. You can still see a fox tail when in human form, they carry around a ball of fire, which to enchant or be enchanted. Oh, that's interesting. A so, ball of fire. A ball, a ball. Oh, a ball of fire. Yeah. That's another, again, that's another trope. It's there's the ball of fire. The, the women oh. seem to be more vampiric or balls of fire, and the men seem to be more wolf or animal. Uh, in this section from the Handbook of Japanese Mythology, uh, these next few, there's a Chinese, have something similar called a Hulijing. It's a fox fairy, which is a cross between a kitsune and a vengeful ghost. The Hulijing rises from its grave and shapeshifts into a seductive woman, scholar, or old man. It seduces victims and vampirizes the victims of their life force. Uh, female Hulijing especially likes scholars for their virtuousness. I stayed ahead of that by being an unvirtuous scholar. So, <laughs> Hey, that's, totally that's why we're such a good them team. Out. I'm the quite Hulu the faith. unvirtuous scholar myself. <laughs> the Hulijing has other powers and abilities that make it one of the most feared of all demons in Chinese lore. Can can shapeshift into dead people, haunt places, and terrify the living. It can take on the appearance of living people. It can transport people through the air and enable them to pass through walls and close windows. The hooligan is invisible during the day, but can often be seen at night, especially lurking on the rooftops of homes.
1: That is an insane list of powers, right there, and lurking on the rooftop. Why does that keep coming back to haunt me? That
0: keeps coming back. I keep finding things that like come from the outside in with a
1: long tongue, or climb up on the roof, and you know, it's
0: always. I mean, that's crazy.
1: It can take any form of anyone, living or dead. It can. It's invisible, and just like oh, just. That was a ridiculous list of powers, man. If, if that thing was in a comic book, it would be too powerful, you know what I mean? Well, that last part was actually not
0: from uh, the Handbook of Japanese Mythology. That was from the Encyclopedia of Demons and Demonology, Rosemary Allen Rosemary Guiley. Oh, I think of, you said One that. of my faves. One of my faves. And there's the K-Joke, C-A-D-E-J-O. you got to help me with my Spanish. The spirit dog of lower uh, central C- America. C, C- A D E J O? Yeah, I think it's Kawahoo. C- C- I would say Cadejo. Kawahoo. C- I bet you would. Cadejo. What do you call me? <laughs> no, that's Bendejo. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Gotcha. I've been called that, so I just, you know, brings back bad memories. But it's described as a cow sized, shaggy spirit dog with red eyes, and some places has deer or goat's hooves. White ones are good and protect travelers. Black ones are dangerous, although this is reversed in some regions. Also found near bridges, um, so that's you know
1: kind of another interesting one. Yeah, and the bridges thing comes up a lot in a lot of stuff. The whole troll under the bridge, and
0: yeah, I think it was Red
1: Fern. Who but that's kind that of one. a boundary too, right? You're you're yeah going over it's a, like a crossroads that separates two areas. I don't know if anybody that's had a, a crossroads
0: did anyone. I got to go back and look because yeah. crossroads is where you find tricksters and monsters. Well, that's an old thing too. That's where you you right. bring your guitar and make the deal with the devil. Exactly, you meet the devil at the crossroads. Not uncommon. So we have, uh, okay, according to Teresa Baines' Beast Jerry, there's a shape shifting vampire out there from Bolivian folklore, the Abchorchoncho, A B C H A N C H U, that preys upon the kindness of strangers. It's kind of the Blanche Dubois shapeshifter. Yikes. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly it will help you sometimes or it will help you get lost more more times than not there's that's the, interesting there's the tunda it's an ecuadorian colombian shapeshifter with a more vampiric quality it's a monstrous vampire blood-sucking fiend that can appear as a beautiful woman or as a loved one to lure their prey we've oh, heard that, that before that's brutal the loved one thing is always brutal Yep. And again, it can't pull off the transformation as a wooden leg instead of, you know, one real leg, one wooden leg. Oh, that's, okay. It's odd. So they they do give you a sign. Yep. There's a dog husband of the Quinault people of the Pacific Northwest. uh, Tells of it. It's kind of another another girl meets dog story. (laughs) But then the the offspring go back. It's not that kind of podcast, (laughs) man. (laughs) (laughs) But the grandfather gets really mad at this, and he ends up killing... uh, uh, he gets mad and kills the father, the dog, the the kids who are dogs or part dogs. Go back and kill the grandfather. It's a very brutal tale, but then all that's, the kids have the
1: ability to shapeshift between man and dog. So this is a oh, so they're not just hybrids; they actually shapeshift back shape-shift. and forth. Yep. So so that's a, a werewolf origin story right there. There you go,
0: from the Pacific Northwest. There's also the Bajang. Uh, witches and sorcerers in Malaysia can bring forth a vampiric demonic creature through a magical ceremony involving a body of a stillborn child or the corpse of a family member. If the demon is male, it is called a Bajang. The female of the species is called the Langshir. If the caster is strong enough, he can bind the creature to his familiar, which can be passed down through the generations.
1: You know, after all these episodes you've been doing... I don't think dead baby jokes are funny anymore. No, I get it. And but again, these are tropes. These are just tropes. There's just so many dead babies involved yeah. with all this stuff. Like, and I guess if you're going down to the evil side of things, that that's a great way to designate some evil. Yep.
0: This one can change into a cat, a weasel, or a large lizard. So there's also the tick belong from the Philippines, half man, half horse. It's kind of a reverse centaur kind of thing.
1: It's or whor- like the motar. So it's like a horse-headed man instead of a horse-bodied man.
0: It's a it's a horse-headed man, like the Minotaur, but a horse. Yeah. I was thinking the Motar, which is the half motorcycle, half man from those commercials. Pretty important. The Motar is something we should probably talk <laughs> Motar. about. Motar, we'll, we'll have it for the side
1: trail. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll check it out before the side trail.
0: <laughs> but the tick belong, you know. It's older shapeshifter nature. DDC you now this ability to transform into several beasts. Um, this one can be a monkey or an old man. Very tall and thin, elongated. Again, it mimics humans, lures people and prey. It has this kind of cackling laugh. Has the invisibility thing too. So, oh, there you go. But it has blue eyes, which is odd. Blue eyes. So it's
1: part Sinatra, I guess. It's a half. That's like, a natural half color, crooner. You. <laughs> and you get the red and yellow eyes. That's like a very unnatural color for eyes. That's that's your usual tropes with this stuff, right? So Correct. The blue eyes is no. not even that weird, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, these usually glow which makes it a little bit more... Oh, like a glowing blue, though? Usually,
0: people talk about glowing shapeshifter eyes. Gotcha. So, there's the mamu of the re- aboriginal people in the eastern part of Australia. Uh, they tell the soul-destroying, devouring, malignant power called the mamu. The term often translates as a monster, refers to both the destructive force itself and its diverse embodiments. A dog, a cat, a kangaroo, a bird, or, again, a ball of fire. Oh, a ball of fire. That'd be awesome if you be able to turn into a ball of fire and that was from Specters of Reality mammo in the eastern-western desert of Australia. These particular mammus are cannibals that sometimes just sneak in and bite off a little piece of you and then you get sick and die later. Very Komodo dragon-y like. Yikes. Many shapeshifters like anything else are associated with illness. You know, they're small, bald, sharp teeth, bulging eye, little creatures running around the outback. Little
1: Marty Feldmans, I guess. Yeah, that's another trope with these guys is uh, they don't want to just kill you. They want to like horrify you and torture you and then kill you. <laughs> exactly. So
0: there's also the Azotl, a legendary creature in Aztec mythology. The creature was taken as a mascot by the ruler of the same name and was said to be the fiend of the rain gods. It's most likely a water possum which possesses a dexterous hands like raccoons or a monkeys as well as a prehensile tail, a hand on its tail. It's black and gray and pointed ears. The hand on the That's from just tail, Wikipedia. Yeah. So... This one uh you know actually doesn't isn't actually a shapeshifter the Azotl but
1: so why is it on the spreadsheet moss
0: well I looked into this one and I wasn't going to add it but if you start to look into these things a little deeper the name Azotl is also the name of this the this Aztec ruler who was a shapeshifter <laughs> so I'm oh, thinking weird. I'm thinking he's a, I'm thinking add that to the list more to come if we have any Aztecs out there or folks familiar with Aztec lore uh, if you could let us know a little more about that for me something with a prehensile hand tail and is, is named after a shapeshifter probably fits the bill
1: if you've got anything for us email us at tour at gmail.com
0: thank you And there's the rakshasa. We talked about this a little bit last week. Sanskrit creature from Hindu mythology, a type of demon or goblin. Tusks, ugly eyes, curling awkward brows, carrying a variety of horrible weapons. It literally means destroyer. They have the power to change their shape at will to animals, monsters, or female demons or beautiful women. Uh, They are akin to yakshas or nature spirits, while others are similar to asuras, which are Hindu demons term Rakshasa, however, generally applies to those demons who haunt cemeteries, eat the flesh of men, and magically drain cows of milk.
1: Magically drain cows of milk. Yeah,
0: I guess that's... When something goes wrong, it's blamed on a monster. So that just got added probably because, oh, the cow doesn't have milk again. It must
1: be the Rakshasas. I mean, for the people, they actually have to physically dig up the grave and eat them. Why do they magically remove the milk and don't they just take it? Yeah. I mean, I that's not, yeah. I mean, by magically, do they just mean I when nobody's looking?
0: Nobody's looking. But that was from Britannica, Hindu mythology, the Rakshasa, by the way. There's also red eyes, of course. Um, you know, they disembowel. Uh, oh, there's one that they described as having hair donning a wreath of entrails. Gross. Yeah. yeah. It's like like a poopy Medusa. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, it's, it's disembowel, <laughs> rinse, repeat. That's just the way. Oh, I gross! <laughs> There's the Adza. It's a shape-shifting firefly vampire from Western Africa. I'm just going to cut through the rest of these. There's a were Tiger. It's a half-human, half-beast of India, Asia. It has the intelligence of a human, the strength and speed of a tiger, thick claws and sharp teeth. Um, it also is a known to be a shapeshifter. The Alp is a really cool one from German folklore. Vampiric spirit associated with nightmares, demons, and bogies. The Alp can assume different forms from seductive humans to animals, such as cats, pigs, birds, and lecherous dogs. It may be disguised as a butterfly, released by the breath of a horcretzy, H-O-R-E-R-C-Z-Y. A butterfly, that's new. Another vampiric demon, regardless of its form, the Alp likes to wear a magical hat, which confers upon it invisibility and supernatural power, including the evil
1: eye. I didn't realize invisibility was such a big trope with shapeshifters.
0: Well, that's where he comes into it. I guess like Rosemary Guiley would say that's why everything's a gin because the shapeshifters can also be gin, which can also be invisible, which also can change. Again, everything seems to be cryptoid instead of cryptid, which I don't like. We're all looking for a a monster, not something that is everything. But
1: sadly, that's... Maybe that's why things like Bigfoot are more enticing. Because yeah. they are just kind of the one thing that we're trying to find, instead of this thing that can be invisible or look like this, or look like that, or be this thing or that thing, and like, how do you know? You know. But they do. They do have the invisibility, and they do have, to have this portly piece, and they we can't well, I guess seem that's to find true. them. And Even the Bigfoot can get, uh, just disappear on you. Yeah. Not nine foot tall ape walking through the woods suddenly gone. Yep, I mean even fairies uh,
0: this is from Hancock again from Supernatural the tribe of fairies known amongst the Breton people of northern France the cornigan K O R N I uh, G A N, could assume animal form and were able moreover to travel from one end of the world to another in the twinkling of an eye they were said to dance in circles holding hands but at the least noise disappear and that's what we see again it all seemed fairies gin all yeah, this stuff seems yeah. to sound Same I, I,
1: I will say that uh with with you know just the way i look at everything it was very much reminding me of fairies so i'm glad you brought that up
0: yeah and we'll we'll get to that at some point but same thing with the nisha doc n-i-s-h-i-d-a-a-k from bengali uses the sounds of loved ones to lure their victims into the woods same with nixies pixies water sprites sirens you came up with some of these yourself it's endless Mm -hmm. i wanted to end speaking of end we're going to end this and there's uh, a 1,000 more to add. Those are just some ones I picked. And I picked them because I wanted to go back in time a little bit and get some of the older ones. We're going to get to some of the newer ones. Don't worry. But I wanted to kind of also kind of really kind of get across how old some of the stuff is. And yeah. this one I'm going to have you read just to show you again how old the whole shapeshifter genre is. This from Rosemary Ellen Guiley again. Uh, kind of hints at some of the creepiness of the antiquity to come. It's about the archons from the Bible. And it will kind of wrap up
1: some of our monster roll call here. Enter the Archons The chief story of the archons is told in one of the most important Nag Hammadi texts, those from Gnostic Gospels. The Apocryphon of John, said to be a vision given to the Apostle John, 185 CE here Sophia without the consent of the spirit she has a son the monstrous Ialdabaoth, who has the likeness of a lion-faced serpent he is the first and chief archon Ialdabaoth has shape-shifting ability he has 12 faces so that when he goes among the seraphim he can put a face before them He shares their fire and becomes lord of them. He declares himself to be God and tells the angels, I am a jealous God and there is no other God beside me. An app
0: from Encyclopedia of Demons and Demonology, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Uh, Yaldabaoth then becomes the architect of the whole Garden of Eden debacle, then the flood. You might guess that he's kind of the demiurge from the Gnostic Gospels, all kind of tie in. But all these themes reach so far back into prehistory, and that's you know. But then today, we have a goat man showing up at a barbecue, or a lizard man romping through a Carolina swamp. We have these same things that we seem to be seeing. We're going to get there. We're going to get to some of the stuff
1: today. And you got the deer lady on Reservation Dogs. Exactly, it's a great show. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, and she's she did it. She, you know, she was a, a oh, that character's great, that dude. Great. The way she pops in and out, so
0: good. My favorite though was. Uh, is is the guy on the horse? The, oh, the spirit the guy! Spirit He's guide. so funny. It's perfect. If you haven't seen that show, it is really worth uh And it has again probably the same trouble. Yeah, Bigfoot probably even made an appearance in that, by the way. Oh yeah, huh? I forgot about that. Yeah, so it makes no sense though why we we kind of keep coming back to this stuff. I even found a connection between this old poltergeist book I was reading. I've actually found a connection that sounded just like a shape. If you didn't know it was just a poltergeist thing, it sounds like another shapeshifter. So listen to this from Satcherville Sitwell's poltergeist, 1940, the Wellington mill haunting. He describes a poltergeist that appears as a cat, a monkey, and a woman it made all kinds of sounds from gutturals to whistles to yeah, exactly. Whistles, (laughs) but it also has these three things that can shift into it. I mean, it, yeah, that sounds it like sounds just like all, like all the other things you were just talking about. It's, yeah. it's a ghost story, but it just sounds like a shapeshifter story. Well, I mean, like a,
1: one of these Jin-like shapeshifter things that can turn invisible. I mean, how can you tell the difference between that and a poltergeist?
0: This is where we, we put them into these camps. I talk about this at the end and you know, hold, hold that, put a pin in that, basically. Pinned. pinned. Now, we meet that somewhere else. Yeah, it sounds like kind of the same thing. Um, I, I, I found it kind of everywhere I was looking. And again, that's why I did this. Well, the that's the I point. Did. Yeah. To show how connected all this is, how it might all really just be one big thing. Yep. Um, seems to start with therianthropy again. You know, it's like a chicken or the egg thing. Therianthropes are everywhere. No, we talked about this. Uh, but I wanted to, again, kind of hit this home as to kind of pre-humanity, how far this goes back. It's like, well, some some theories say it's pre-homo sapien, which means other species have these same wow, these same kinds of
1: therianthropic things going on. It's actually one of our ancestors, kind of thing.
0: Well, I mean, like some of the ones that died out, like the Neanderthals, might have dealt with therianthropic right. dreams, kind of oh, thing, or had the see. same shamanic initiation. It's pre-us. I these see. themes. So the oldest civilization acknowledged by scholars, the Sumerians and Babylonians, were already well. Was Sumerians first? I think were already steeped in monsters and evil spirits. They had this owl woman hybrid Lilitu, who was the predecessor for the Hebrew Lilith. Uh, we're talking cuneiform tablets. So pre-Lachusa creatures carved into clay tablets. You know, now we still have people seeing Lachusa in New Mexico, an owl woman, and we have people talking about them from Sumerian times. And I guess. Hmm. That's kind of where I'm going with this.
1: Yeah, it really does go back as far as our history goes.
0: And then, again, I, I'm, this is a guyly heavy episode, but she kind of, from her Demons and Demonology book again, she explains why ba- Babylon uh, it was so spooky. Seventy-two demons or jinn captured by the legendary King Solomon who imprisoned them in a brass vessel and cast it into the sea. The vessel was discovered by Babylonians who believed it contained a great treasure. And they broke open the vessel, the demons and their legions were set free, and they returned to their home. So essentially, it's kind of a Pandora's box. Somebody right, right, exactly. Pandora's box back in the day. Their hero, Gilgamesh, same thing. He fought all these monsters. Uh, his best friend, again, we said, you know, the, what was the joke I made? The boy in his, his squash. Uh, the boy in his squash, yeah. <laughs> it's the Just same. Just the boy
1: in his yeah. squash story.
0: Oannes was a Mesopotamian god who... Came out of the water half fish, half man, and he taught the Mesopotamians agriculture. That's the merman. Yeah. I think he just did it to get them to stop fishing. I think he had a hidden agenda, to be honest. But <laughs> Probably just, you know, demonology adopts this therianthropic or chimeric concept as well. This is Cavendish's The Black Arts, which is in Bones Library, by the way, if you're ever interested. Uh, I think it's also on Internet Archive, too,
1: by the oh, way. Oh, there you go. Great resource.
0: Uh, That demons appear in grotesque and horrifying shapes is an old tradition. The Babylonians thought that evil spirits were so hideous that they might run away if shown themselves in a mirror. They had the bodies of the dogs, eagles, lions, paws, scorpions, tails, human skulls for heads, goat horns, and wings of birds. The early Christian fathers described devils as appearing in human form, and also as leopards, bulls, bears, horses, wolves, snakes, scorpions, or as a composite creature. And of course, lions, tigers, bears, oh my! It's all chimeric. Yes, and this so, so demonology books also kind of look just like what we're talking about. Uh, there's therianthropes in the Bible as well. Can you name any? I'm I'm not that well versed, but I, I can't really. I mean, I know the general stories. I can't there's think a cockatrice, which is a half cockerel, half snake, and Beast of Revelation. You know, there's a few that are pretty chimeric. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. The Greeks sprinkled therianthropes and monsters all over their myths. Uh, the Odyssey. You said the Cyclops earlier. I
1: I think. Uh, I just like the Cyclops because of crawl. Yeah. I'm dating myself a little with that one. But.
0: Oh, you got to like it from the Odyssey. I mean, I mean. Or oh yeah. At least the Armando Sante version of the Odyssey. <laughs> if you didn't read Homer. But uh, I actually the Iliad and the Odyssey great reads. Man. I read the odyssey three times i never made it through the iliad I, I like oh really forget the war i like the monsters and and the
1: sirens the odyssey and, is the yeah. good part yeah the odyssey is awesome the odyssey is like episodes four through six yeah and the iliad is like one through three yeah it's yeah. You know. i could
0: i could skip <laughs> oh are we doing george I'm sorry, lucas I'm doing are doing george Lucas? Sing again i'm doing star wars don't lucas this do not lucas this but move over to mexico the mines and the aztecs had all their tharanthropic serpent people and You know, Kugulkan, Quetzalcoatl, Tezalapoca. Egypt had a whole pantheon of therianthropes, obviously, a little less evil. They seemed to be part of society. They held down good, honest jobs, usually involving death in the underworld, but it was more civic-minded. Unless you're an SG-1 fan, then you know the truth. Uh, They were actually, you know, badass grahul.
1: Yeah, they just came through the portal.
0: The portal. Uh, The Middle East is fraught with rakshasas and jinns, as we said, from the same region, if you look at, at possibly the oldest megalithic structure. Um, this was on Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse. He goes to bo- Gobekli Tepe, but then he goes to Kahanatepe and is this huge half-man, half-snake kind of guardian. And he, you know, Hancock calls it sinuous and slightly sinister. And this is going back to the oldest things we can find as far as structures. we talk about cave paintings. And we're we're gonna, I'm going to go into just
1: how old the Sphinx probably is at some point as well. Yeah, the Robert Shock stuff. So that, you know. that's all I'll say for now. But that's older than you think. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've read fingerprints of well, the gods. Not older than you think, Maz. Oh, mother people. Yeah, you're here of... with me.
0: But yep. No, I get it. Uh, water erosion. But Rosemary and Gailin tracks the Middle Eastern gin back into antiquity as well, and I'm gonna get back to that. Australia has a different slant on it. Like I said, it's this dreaming time, but it's the same kind of thing. But it's more of the shamanic dream time than seems to be taking place more of an altered state of consciousness than, again, it's more cryptoid and it's
1: more different state. And we do keep coming back to that too. And I think that might be the key to the whole thing is it's really our mental state that allows these, you know, observations, interactions and whatnot to happen. I think I, I, in my mind, that's where the crux really lies. In my mind, I'm going to Carolina. It's not, is the monster there? It's, is your brain aligned to see it, you know? Yeah, I think at the different level of consciousness, different interpretation, different culture, different interpretation we're gonna get in. Yeah. And that's bit. why what you said, one of the first things you said in this episode, there can be a crowd of people and a couple of them might see this thing happen and nobody else does. Yep. Feeds yep. right into that. It's all it's all, it's all wavelengths open. and vibrations. All wavelengths,
0: vibrations. Good vibrations. It's very beach boys at the end of the day. So, don't, don't beach boys me, dude. It's an endless summer. It's a perfect reference right now because it's very hot. <laughs> oh, boy. <You laughs> Still know, Co- 110.
1: You know, Kokomo's not even a real place. Like, they really messed people up with that. You, what? Kokomo is not a real
0: place. It starts off, there's a place called Kokomo.
1: No, there's not. Oh, Check your on. map, dude. All the other places they mention in that song are real places. Kokomo is not a real place. Well,.
0: I mean, he he. John part Hughes'd of the
1: dreaming them. time, maybe. He John Hughes them like people tried to go to the town in Illinois where all the John Hughes movies take place, and it mm. doesn't actually exist. Wow. People started trying to book vacations to Kokomo, and it's not a real place. Dang.
0: I wonder. Yeah, we could set up a travel agency, and this could be. I'll talk to you about this
1: later. I just have an idea. Ooh, <laughs> cryptid travel agencies. <laughs> oh,
0: no, yeah.
1: That's not what I was thinking, but that's even better. <laughs> We're, we're going to book you tickets to a place that doesn't exist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Brigadoon. Next stop, Brigadoon. Kokomo. You know, you'll Kokomo. Be,
0: you'll be back in 200 years, just like clockwork. But the, the Celts is another one I want to mention real quickly because they kind of got a, a – the shape-shifting very different there and the Celtic piece and a lot of their lore is kind of lost. But it's the same idea. It's still there. There's enough information to say that – Oak Ash and Thorn is a good book and there's one at Bone's house if you're over there there's another good one I'll I'll try to get the name maybe an old business moment but I think the Celtics had the same thing going on in that same area for their endless fairy tales that kind of happened up in that way Uh, but there's even this vague connection between shamanism shapeshifters and King Arthur and we'll talk about that in Arctic shapeshifters by the way And it's not the questing beast
1: I was just going to say didn't we already
0: do that nope this is different. Totally connecting different Connecting King Arthur more directly to shapeshifting. Oh, that's, that's awesome. going to happen. And again- That's, that's in a future uh, episodes, though. Yeah, we're going to go north when we're done here. I, I can't uh, gotcha. stop yet. I'm going to, you know, I'll try not to, you yeah, know, it's going to someday. Zul. There's no end of this arc. <laughs> Only Zul. <Zool. laughs> and again, among the oldest cave paintings, we did the whole Troy-Friere. But there's other ones. I mean, there's this Staddle Cave where, again, it's, a man with a lion's head in Germany 40,000 years ago. I just, you know, our first cave paintings, our first structures, first messages from everyone back, way back when was about therianthropes, shapeshifters, tricksters, twins, monsters. I mean, why was it such a prevalent theme for our our ancestors? Because the magic was still alive then and since the magic has died. Well, I, I honestly don't think, I think a lot of people still see stuff. I don't know if the magic's died. It's dying, <laughs> but it will
1: resurge. That's, I like that thought a lot. Yep. That you know, journey from hate to love right there, man. The magic's coming back.
0: And before we move on, is there any group you think I missed? Because I did skip one entirely. It's t- I know when we talk about the whole world, maybe. Um, I'm going to come back to Native Americans because there's so many times we're going to be talking about that. Well, we
1: know. did that. The skin right.
0: walker was a chunk of that. So. And there's yeah. more to come on that, but... Uh, but I do want to talk really quick about this kind of a Jungian depth psychology explanation, too, uh, for theriomorphic full-on animals like snakes and jaguars and the therianthropes that we keep meeting I think, you know, in Cisco, it was the hellhound. We have a friend, Greg, was on an astral buffalo. We haven't aired those a,
1: interviews yet. Only Bones interview so far.
0: I understand, but we have a few friends that saw kind of a three-legged coyote. I mean, we're kind of lousy with skin-blanker stories from our friends. These all have these therianthropic components to them um, yep. for the most part. Interviews coming soon. But the purpose of the Monster Roll Call was really to just, again, get this kind of why is this so prevalent? Why is this global? Why does this go far so far back? Uh, but in Kachuba believes therianthropes are precursors to shape-shifters And that's what I wanted to kind of expand on this a little bit that would make sense in antiquity It was the gods and goddesses who held the power of physical transformation But as mankind became more enlightened shamans wizards and other faith folk challenged the beliefs in these divinities and Appropriated some of their supposed powers including that of shapeshifting. That is from the transitions from Egyptian pantheons too. Assuming these godlike powers, it's kind of the same idea. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, again, pins the whole shape-shifting things on djinn. Two phenomena that affect millions of people all over the planet. Shadow people and ETs, two of many forms taken by the djinn who have hostile intent towards humans. In addition, many of our entity contacts throughout history need to be re-examined. The djinn are likely to account for... Archons, the Watchers, the Sons of God, the Nephilim, the Anunnaki, Reptilians, Fairies, Demons, Encounters, Romancers, Shamans, Jinns, Sorcerers, Siceras, Conjurers, Mugs, Thugs, nitwits, <laughs> Halfwits, Dimwits, Vipers, Snipers, Conmen, Mexican Band, Buggers, right. Thuggers, Bushwaggers, and Methodists. Sorry. Give the governor Harumph. <laughs> harumph. Harumph. Sorry. But that wasn't all from Rosemary and Wow. Wow. That, that was uh... a... <laughs> That was very good Blazing Saddles there. You did like the whole thing. Anyway, I want to get to our highlight stories real quick. I'm choosing some weird ones. So if you would read that page that's
1: marked. All right. This uh, little excerpt is titled The High Behind, 1895 to 1898 by Classa Tosher Stilwell. In Clara Township on the west branch of Fishing Creek, a strange animal appeared in 1895 and was seen many times for three years. It was as large as a deer in pure white. What made it peculiar was that it stood higher on its hind legs than the rest of its body. As report after report came in, it grew into a terrible phantom that was feared by many. Hunters never could find it, and it vanished as suddenly as it came. It was called The High Behind. In 1895, when I was five years old, my sister Cleo and I were living on a farm on the west branch of Fishing Creek with our parents, Benjamin and Zella Lyman Tosher. One evening, a group of young people gathered at our home. We were in our large living room, which was also the dining room, with a long extension table in the center. I was on the lap of my aunt Nina Lyman. Most of the others were seated on hardwood chairs leaned back on two legs against the wainscoting which extended around the lower portion of the room. There we sat and listened to the young folks talk about current events and the old folks tell tales of the past. My mother and other ladies lighted a lantern and went out into the yard. We heard terrible screams and my mother shouted, the high behind, the high behind. The men grabbed their guns and rushed out the back door followed by the dogs. My aunt dropped me on the floor and we all followed the men. We saw nothing. The animal had gone through the orchard and out of sight. Strangely, the dogs would not follow the trail. The woman said the animal was within a few feet of them when it stamped its feet and snorted through extended nostrils. Its eyes were like balls of fire. What the high behind was, we never knew. Some said it may have been a malformed albino deer, although no deer had been seen in that area for several years.
0: You know, the one thing I don't understand about this story is knowing a little bit about central Pennsylvania woods. There's no part of central Pennsylvania woods that doesn't have deer, so I don't...
1: I have a theory. Ah, uh, go for it. The late 19th century, there were no regulations on hunting. Mm. they probably hunted out all the deer in the area of where they were actually they were actually at yeah. the deer were like, forget this area. Yeah, I you hate these you people. probably have to go 10 miles out to find a deer kind of thing. Yep. That was from
0: forbidden land, strange events in the black forest, Robert Lyman, but it has the elongated piece. It's a mutant white deer. It's a not deer. It seems Wendigo. y it seems to have a witchy shamanic background. It's terrorizing an area. It's more
1: phantom like, I, I put a lot of stock in dogs in these cases too and the fact that the dogs wouldn't chase it. Yeah. It tells, yeah, tells you something. Oh actually I have a new dog walking story we'll do in the side trail. Nice. Yeah, a little my, teaser. My dog's been sensing things. It's weird. Yeah.
0: That's oh that's good. The high behind, by the way, comes goes back to those fearsome critters from the lumberjack and you you get a lot of these stories of things that like it's following you and you can't see it. It can get really thin behind the trees. It can, go again, grow really tall, be really short. But this one doesn't sound like a high behind at all. Uh, it's a very strange story from that area. But it, it, a deer would not be terrorizing an area. So this seems right, right. more... And it has these big back
1: legs. It's very strange. Yeah, the higher back legs than front legs. There, There are animals like that. I can't really come up with anything off the top of my head.
0: Another piece they mention in the same book is it can shift into a creature as thin as a sapling to hide, stalk, prey, and ultimately kill. This is so vague because it's hard for people to see but will become ever closer by running very fast between the trees. It's usually attacking the person in the rear. Uh, there's a little YouTube video about this that kind of trying captures it. It's a guy going through the
1: woods, and every time he turns around, this thing gets closer and closer. Yeah, that sounds, sounds like cool. that deer that was following me and my dog. Yeah, it kept creeping up on us every time I turned back around. It was closer. I am
0: very excited about that. So, but it, it's kind of another phenomenon spillover story. But the one, I, the other one I wanted to do is, is I know. Most of you have not going to have heard of this one. So if you did hear, if the roll call disappointed you because I did a lot of things you might have heard, I know I had a couple you hadn't, maybe. I'm, I'm going to say I hadn't heard of, like, most of those. This one's even more obscure. And, again, I looked in a place I was familiar found, just found an area, uh, found an area. I had a spooky story in and uh, something called the Guy Woggle. I think I mentioned this uh, last time, but it's a shapeshifter who you've never heard of. Again, uh, I kind of know the, the guy who write, wrote this story too, Lube. So I found huh. this article about it and I'm very interested to have you read
1: a little bit about the Central Pennsylvania Guy Woggle. I would be very happy to read about it, but looking at it, I, I would pronounce that Gee Woggle,
0: not Guy Woggle. It's G-I-W-O-G-G-L-E, so I think Guy Woggle.
1: Well... Yeah, if you pronounce it in American English. But most of the stuff with stuff like this is pronounced phonetically, right? And the G-I would be G-I. Well, we'll get Lou on and we'll we'll see if he has anything more to say. And then we'll we'll bet a beer on it. A Bonehouse nice. beer. A Bonehouse beer. Love it. Oh, yeah. And today's episode brought to you by Bonehouse's Blonde Ale. <laughs> Carbide light. Very good. All right, anywho, stories of the Gee Woggle date back to the mid-1800s, and on July 21st, 2011, the government of Clinton County proclaimed it to be the county's official monster. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) The Gee Woggle was, according to legend, a kind of artificial werewolf creature that could be conjured or summoned by a witch. Ooh, it's like a golem or something. Sightings occur on the Clinton-Clearfield county border in West Keating Township back in the 1800s. The gee is not the easiest creature in the world to physically describe. It was about six feet tall, shaped like a wolf, and stood on its back legs. Instead of front paws, it had bird claws, and instead of back feet, it had horse hooves. Oh my goodness. This was to confuse trackers trying to follow it the legends all involved local women who were believed to be witches casting spells to conjure up one of these things when a nearby farmer offended them. They would send the gee to harass the farmer which often took the form of annoying stunts and petty vandalism. Side note, this reminds me a lot of the uh, the gnome legends in Europe. There you go. Anywho, back to it. Or the
0: Travelocity Gnome. Yeah, there you go
1: the Geewoggles didn't seem to be violent for the most part he can book eat a kokomo <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. no he can't because it doesn't exist <laughs> okay let me get back to this the Geewoggles woggles didn't seem to be violent for the most part farmers would wake up and find their crops trampled tools damaged and gee woggle tracks around the barn in one of my favorite bits, a farmer found his cows frightened in trying to smoke a portion of a cornstalk. <laughs> what the hell am I reading here, Moz? <laughs> they were s- so like somebody lit it like a yeah. cigarette and stuck it yeah. in their yeah. mouth. There you go. That's freaking hilarious. I want to hang out with the Gee Woggle. <laughs> okay, back in again. Oddly, people driving near the Clearfield-Clinton border have reported seeing bipedal wolves running beside the road. With a quick glance, a geewoggle might easily be described as a bipedal wolf, so perhaps the creatures are lurking around the grave of their old adversary. The geewoggle has been known to get closer to civilization, though it's been a while. In February of 1909, when panic over the Jersey Devil reached a peak, creatures were sighted at night lurking on rooftops in downtown Lockhaven. The newspapers speculated at the time that this might be the geewoggle coming into town in search of prey.
0: And that again from Lou Bernard, PAWilds.com. He's a folklorist and historian from that area, and uh, I'd love to get that guy on to see if we can you know, win a bonehouse beer. Yeah, there you go. And uh, the whole bipedal wolf running next to the cars. Gee, you figured some things out, didn't you? Jeez. That's in my notes here, but... Conjured by a witch, shamans, witches, sorcerers, oh my. You know, you got this wolf dog that stands on the side of the road. It does have some chimeric pieces that don't make a ton of sense, but it does come around the same time as the Jersey Devil, which seems to be maybe their little fear contagion piece. It isn't too far. It's only a couple, you know, maybe it's a, how far would the Jersey Devil be? Three,
1: three, a few hours from there. Yeah, not all that far in it is interesting that at the same time, because cause the Jersey Devil was chimeric as well. I'm like, you'll find different descriptions of it in different accounts. Yeah. But they all kind of sound like what we just heard with that, with the wolf with the bird claws and the deer feet and stuff like that. I'd
0: say a four hour drive now I'm thinking about it, but depends on how fast you go, I guess.
1: When you can run at 80 miles an hour. Yep. Not that far. That's right.
0: But it does sound a lot like, and that's what you were getting at. It sounds like the Michigan Dog Man that's running along the
1: side of the road. The Dog Man and the lot This is an log, old account. Not just the Dog Man, but a lot of skin walker stories as well.
0: Exactly. Things running... This is the mid-1800s, and we've got the same phenomenon of what... I have family members who saw something very similar. Not in the 1800s. <laughs> you know? In the 20-hundreds. So, in the 20-hundreds, exactly. But, again, Nick Redfern is kind of more in that... You know, reading Morphing Monsters and Changing Cryptids, his shapeshifter book. He kind of has this everything's a shapeshifter thing going. You might know him from Nessie or Chubacabra Road Trip or the one I just mentioned, Morphing Monsters and Changing Cryptids. Uh, He's on Ancient Aliens a lot, by the way. He turns up like a bad penny. Uh, But he thinks everything's a shapeshifter. So let's try a little test for this. Yeti. Shapeshifter. Taylor Swift. Shapeshifter. Barn owl. Shapeshifter? Styrofoam cup. Ooh, shapeshifter. The Senate House Intelligence Committee. Shapeshifters? No, those are reptilians, which are shape... Shifters? Related to skin... Walkers. Right. See, you're getting it. You're getting it. Ah. But Redfern focuses on the fact that these entities have a full wardrobe, multiple species thing going on. Makes a compelling case for all these cluster sightings, things kind of happening in the same woods... Uh, apes that turn into serpents, Bigfoots the UFOs, dogs turning into cats, living together, you know, mass hysteria, the old Bill Murray thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Nick discusses cluster uh, sightings like Rendlesham Park. He's got this monkey man sighting in the book that Shropshire Union Canal area of England. They see this monkey, and then they see kind of a serpent sighting a week later. That's Uh, weird. My story, which we'll get to, there's going to be an episode on mine, is Kind of cluster y too, and that when I only th- only thought about that more, you know, when I started to read into these things, that it's actually a,
1: a bunch of weird things happened that weekend. Yeah, yeah, that that does seem to be the way things cluster together like that.
0: Or do you want to hear like an even local thing that happened that uh, is kind of a cluster sighting, kind of in a way? Local, know. where here or back? Well, Arizona. Member Travis, Travis Walton, he was abducted by aliens back oh, in that, the day. Oh, that's the uh, fire in the sky thing. Yes, right? fire in the sky guy. He got picked up in Strawberry, and he got dropped off in Heber. And Heber is a big area that there's sightings for the Mogion monster. So again, oh, you, well, I'm sure, yeah. So again, where
1: you have one thing, you kind of see the other. That's where know? all the Rim lakes are. That's where the Rim has water. That would make sense that that's where the Sasquatch would be, or the Mogion monster, excuse me.
0: But it, it, where you find one weird thing, you tend to find these triangles
1: and cluster sightings. It's like the Skinwalker Ranch thing. It kind of all Correct. happens in one spot. Correct. Correct. You know, you just said the whole word, though, but it's okay. We'll get uh, see, through but this. it's the title of a thing. That's you what know? we already argued about. We were yeah, in the same... it's tough. One. It's tough. It's tough.
0: But uh, the other thing is John Kachuba would add Jesus to the list of shapeshifters. <laughs> we keep talking about him. It changed Jesus? Back. Yeah. Jesus kinda, as a shapeshifter. It's kind of Ishtadeva stuff where, like, depending on your level of consciousness, again, you're seeing something.
1: Well, I mean, he was just the human, I mean, it's it's the Holy Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all the same thing.
0: I think what he's getting at, and I'm not sure, I'd have to look it up. This is just me going on memory, but I think he was talking about when they couldn't identify Jesus and Judas had to because everybody was seeing something different depending on their level of consciousness. Oh, interesting. So Judas had to actually
1: give him away because no one could actually you hone could only, in on this guy. You could only really He's see him. He's a shapeshifter. Yeah, you could only really see him if you were enlightened enough. Yeah. Well, we
0: don't want to annoy people, uh, King Arthur fans out there, or Jesus fans. <laughs> 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 but this one... We came around to a lot of different things that might be shapeshifters. I just I thought I'd add the ones that are like really. We're gonna talk about that. I had no idea how deep that list would go. I, I didn't either until I started researching. You know, but as mentioned, you can't help but notice. Not only do these sightings take place in the same types of areas—canals, waterways, graveyards, military bases—find people looking for the local urban legend like La Llorona, And then they have a dogman encounter, or they're looking for a UFO, and they find a ghost monk. And you see these things, and that's what Redfern's getting at. And he's right. You know, we, we have these areas, these thin places, that just seem to be bubbling up with all kinds of oddities. Again, my theory behind every shapeshifter is a person of power, more specifically a shaman. They seem to be the human conduits of this nastiness. Where we find monsters, we often find ogres, beings of magic, witches, warlocks, noggles, necromancers, shamans, djins, sorcerers, conjurers, half-wits, dimwits. <laughs> and Methodists.
1: <laughs>
0: it's like kind of like an Encoreman, isn't it? I believe all those can be traced back through prehistory and to shamanic power. And that's the argument I'm going to make in the next episode. Another really creepy story comes from Redfern's Shapeshifter book. It again has all the hallmarks to support my theory. If you dumped a cesspool onto a pet cemetery, which was once a Native American Indian burial ground, that oh kind of describes where we're going next. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> London was, this is a hellish prison. This is a story again. We're going to read just a teeny little excerpt from it, but basically it's, it's from Nick Redfern's Morphing Monsters and Changing Cryptids. London was struggling in the late 1500s. They had a lot going on, nothing good. So the prisoners of the time were worse off still and one particular prison known as Newgate, N-E-W-G-A-T-E. So not the candy bar. (laughs) I was just distinguishing between what I read and what's actually on the page. Newgate. Yeah, nougat is, if you know, if you found a prison filled with nougat, that would be amazing compared to this place. You can lock me up in there, yeah. This is different. (laughs) Does
1: it have chocolate walls?
0: Yeah. Oh, we're gonna get so to what's we the are law, so off the we're rails right so now. off the rails. But the old text reports truly revolting conditions. There was not enough food for even the general populace at that time. So the prisoners, as you can imagine, it was a bad scene. It was a hell hole that reeked of rotting flesh yikes no one was cleaning the cells or even removing the dead or those still alive would gang up and devour the new arrivals oh my goodness so many newbies entered the prison who were immediately overpowered and eaten because they formed like gangs Redfern points to the story originating from one Samuel Rowlands and an old English style tale is called this is the whole title the discovery of a London monster called the Black Dog of Newgate profitable for all readers to take heed by yeah that's the name it's like a pack of wolves in the, the prison. 1500s were a different time. You know, they had different publishing companies back then, I imagine. All those old names are yeah. long like that. Yep. Yeah. Near the height of this cannibalistic madness. Well, here's a quick excerpt again from... And I would like you to read it, if you would, from Nick Redfern's book.
1: Okay. A huge black dog suddenly manifested in one of the larger cells. A cell that held more than a dozen criminals... Rolands continued that panic-filled mayhem erupted as the red-eyed canine fiend rampaged around the room, tearing into the bodies of the emaciated prisoners, ripping away skin and crunching down on weakened bones. When the cell turned into what looked like some ghoulish slaughterhouse and the prisoners were all quickly and violently dead, the monstrous hound suddenly vanished as if into thin air.
0: If you want to read that tale, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to read that tale in its entirety, that one is worth the cover charge. You know, Nick Redfern, Shapeshifters, Morphing Monsters, Changing Cryptids, checks all the boxes, Red Eyes, Hellhound, Cannibalism, The Fear, The the Shapeshift. It it just needed to be like, it needed to whistle like a
1: crying baby, and we would add, right? You know, (laughs) we would have been perfect. Well, just so it just, a dog just appeared in the cell. It was oh, the God.
0: darkest place, manifested the darkest energies, I guess, is what, and this is what spawned this monstrous creature. Uh, but there was an element I was looking for, and I went looking for the missing piece. And this was again because I felt there was more to the story than what I read. So I kind of juggled uh, Samuel Rowland's "Black Dog of Newgate" piece with that wonderfully long title, and I did find it. It is free on the Juggle. Uh, the 1596 version. <laughs> wow, <laughs> which went straight up to number one. <laughs> yeah,
1: Well, that's impressive. That's actually on there.
0: Yeah, it was hard to kind of. It's. I'm going to try to read it, but it's some old English, and maybe we'll. But but I found the piece I was missing, and let's let me read, and then we can discuss. Okay. In the reign of King Henry, the third, there happened such a famine through England, but especially in London that many starved for want of food, by which means the prisoners of Newgate ate up one another, but commonly those that came newly in, and such as could make but small resistance. Amongst many others cast into this den of misery, there was a certain Scholar, brought thither upon a suspicion of conjuring, and that he by charms and devilish witchcrafts had done much hurt to the king's subjects, which Scholer and Mauger, which means despite, His devils, furies, sprites, and goblins was by famished prisoners etten up and deemed passing for good meat. Again, they were eating babies. So they ate a shaman. They ate a shoaler, which is a shaman. A a jinn, or a jinn is the other argument, I guess. Oh, no. Yeah. this being done, such an idle conceit possessed the minds of the poor prisoner that they supposed nightly to see the shawler in the shape of a black dog walking up and down the prison, ready with the ravening lois to tear out their bowels, for his last human flesh they had so hungrily eaten, and all they hourly heard as they thought strange groans and cries as if it had been some creature in great pain and torments, whereupon such a nightly fear grew amongst them that I turned to frenzy, and from a frenzy to desperation, in which desperation they killed the keeper. And so many of them escaped forth. But yet, whithersoever they came or went, they imagined the black dog to follow. And by this means, as I do think, the name of him began. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so Redfern had a story. I looked a little bit deeper. I found a shoaler, which is S-C-H-O-L-L-E-R, which, you know, I think... Uh, Rosemary Ellen Giley would call a djinn. Mm-hmm. I would call a shaman. But or it was a conjurer. A scissor. Forget all of them. We're all wrong. It's a Sithserer. A Sithserer. But uh, the one reason uh, Rosemary Ellen Giley has a point is because the djinn's favorite guys is a black dog. So that seems to be one of wow. the common tropes on that
1: angle. So. Wow. Yeah. They ate <laughs> a shoulder. And he came back and hunted them as a dog and then killed probably the guys a that ate him. A dozen of them. Which was probably the dozen guys. Correct. It was probably the He went he after the ones that ate him. And, wow. And
0: I I, I kind of felt it was missing. I read the story and I was like, this dog appears. Yeah, like where did it come, did it come that's from? That's exactly
1: what I was thinking. Like, why did so, this dog just... Well done, Maz. That, that's great research.
0: I was amazed that a 1596 thing was available and I was amazed to find the answer that I was kind of looking for. So it was, it was an exciting moment in sports. Yeah, yeah. So um, I also did one more experiment I want to discuss really quick. And it was, again, because I was in the, I was like, wow, I'm on a roll here. So I picked up my handy-dandy Wiser Field Guide to Cryptozoology and wondered if using this new shape-shifting kind of tropes, if I could spot something that maybe, it d- maybe just sounds like it's not and maybe I can find some piece of the puzzle that sounds like it is do further research and, and, and determine that it's a shapeshifter okay. and I stopped about 15-20 pages into my flippings and it was on the Sasa Bonesome. Uh according to the African Ashanti mythology there's a hard bat-like creature from southern Ghana, Togo and the Ivory Coast called the Sasa Bonesome. It's is reported to be the size of a man with a wingspan of nearly 20 feet the sassa Bonesome has defined ridges above its eyes, long teeth. Creatures creature is also said to have an emaciated body and twisted legs. This is from, again, the Wiser Field Guide to Cryptozoology. Um, so what I honed in on was the emaciated body and the twisted legs. That's right. the moment. So what I did was actually just research the sassa This is what I found. Uh, Asante or Shanti religion, part of the Aiken people. We're talking about uh, Ghana, Africa. The main role of the Asante shaman, Akamofo, is to be an intermediary between divinity and human beings. There was a huge movement by the British colonizers early in the 1900s to eliminate witchcraft, which again demonized the Sasabonsum even more. Uh, This is again very common. This from the Journal of Philosophy, Culture, and Religion. The Sassabonsum is called the Forest Monster, another supernatural being which inhabits the forest. The Aiken believe that there is only one Sasabonsum, unlike other spirit forces, which are many. It's most feared and is known to be a tall, hairy, wild eyed monster with misshapen feet facing both ways. So again we start to see, see the feet going the other way. Yep, the dysmorphia. He sits high above among branches of Odum tree and is said to use his feet to hook up unwary hunters or other passers by. The modus operandi of the Bonsum is wholly evil in nature, and above all, he is in league with the witches and magicians. This is that's from Evans 1950 and Apuku 1978, a reference within a reference. This relationship that exists between the Bonsum and witches is expressed in the Aiken Maxim. When Sassabonsum Bonsum attends a funeral, he lodges with the witch. And that was from multiplicity of ahanum spirits in the Aiken. Spiritual Cosmology, Journal of Philosophy, Culture, and Religion. So we have reversed anatomy, elongated bits. Um, we have this shaman-witch connection. Right, the connection, the witch-slash-shaman sh- connection, yeah. And the last piece I found was from Mary Kingsley's Travels in West Africa. Some Akin, the tribe, refer to the Sassabonesome as being witches themselves. Um, and this is also from her. Kingsley went on to describe how certain... Actually, this is, this is someone commenting on her travels. It's from uh, Nature and Supernatural Nature. It's a WordPress blog commenting on Kingsley's travels. Kingsley went on to describe how certain people, she called them witches, could utilize Sasa Bonesome's power by creating a sutman. First they carved a figure from a piece of wood or plant root. It was then daubed with blood, red earth, and rum. Sasa Bonesome was called upon to enter the sutman and juice from certain leaves. Be squeezed onto that object. If a hissing noise was heard, it was meant that the sasabonsen was present in the sutman. Sudmint. Sutmans could be employed for both benign and malignant means. For instance,
1: to cause death or to protect against fires and accidents. So it's just all a matter of how you want to project it. What yeah. you, you can guide it, however you want. Well,
0: it's, it sounds like a voodoo doll. Yeah, it sounds. There's a tupalak which is this Inuit version of that. Uh, but it's a shaman creating this thing and, and going, you know, so again. It's, a, it's, it's like a golem again. Like that kind of keeps going. Yes, like the golem of pra stories, yeah. if you remember those. So basically you mess with it being a power. They can create something. that can come alive and defend. The sasabonesome seems to be one of these things. It seems to follow all the tropes, and it seems, if you go into the research, it kind of directly connects more to shamanism and witchcraft. Then you would just meets the eye, which is, again, what I thought. I found some odd piece, the emaciated piece and the twisted legs. Read into it. It's about backwards legs. And then it becomes something that was conjured by a witch or is a witch itself. So so I came to the conclusion, dear monster hunters, next time, talk to the town shaman, not just a woman with the missing chickens. Best regards, Maz. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I found...
1: Don't so, talk to the victims. Talk to the people who would know about these things. Exactly.
0: It does get crazier. That's where we're going to be heading next week. Uh, we're going to do kind of our scales at the end of that. We're going to kind of, I'm basically next week, I really want to make my case for why it's the shaman. You know, Rosemary Angali, if you read The Jinn Connection, she makes the case why it's gin. If you read Nick Redfern, he makes the case for why it's just, he just focuses on the shape-shifting component of this. Right. And next week I really want to bring it home with it. This is sent me towards shaman and I'm going to kind of bring it on home with my own theory. Yeah. So that's kind of the plan for next week. And, uh, you know, I think we should uh, probably wrap it up because I I hear the baby crying.
1: Baby crying. Yeah. I don't have a baby. You got a baby? Nobody's got a baby here. Oh, Oh, shit. shit.
0: That could happen if you try to out the gin, man. Yeah, so we're going to talk nicing. You know, gin are really good, and I actually think they're great for the economy. Shut up! (whistles)